0: Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa von Tobel, and I'm excited for you to meet Arif Nathu, MD, co-founder and CEO of Komodo Health, a healthcare technology company focused on reducing the burden of disease with data-driven insights and powerful software applications. Arif started Komodo in 2014, and he oversees data sciences, engineering, and product development initiatives for the company. The company announced a $220 million series E last year and is now valued at over $3 billion. RF has spent the past 15 years in healthcare and life sciences in leadership roles. Before Komodo, he was a leader in McKinsey's healthcare practice and co led McKinsey's medical affairs practice, which created analytics products and services to improve engagement between industry and providers. RF has conducted research in novel instructional technologies and medical devices with multiple publications and peer reviewed journals. He graduated magna cum laude with highest honors from Harvard College with an AM in molecular and cellular biology, an MD from Harvard Medical School, and an MPA in health policy from the Harvard Kennedy School. And with that, I want to welcome RF. RF. first of all, obviously, you have this incredible background. Um, so I'm thrilled to have you here today. And also, I've been following your business from afar for a while. I want to just keep the basics for everybody that's listening. Just walk us through what is Komodo Health in your own words? And what are you trying to achieve?
1: Awesome. Well, thanks, Alexa. First of all, it's awesome to be on. I'm so thrilled to be here and have a chance to chat with you. So at its core, Komodo Health is a technology company that was literally built on the thesis that there has to be a better way for the whole healthcare system to derive insights from this incredible trove of healthcare data that's being generated every day. And we have a, as a business, the stated mission to reduce the burden of disease. We we believe in it, we believe data and technology can do that. And so, in that process, we aggregate insights from all across the healthcare system to find ways to improve healthcare outcomes. And we work with large enterprises, think like big pharmaceutical companies, payers, providers, to use this information to better address their population's needs.
0: That was so well put. And one of the things I wanted to go, so you led me there perfectly, your healthcare map is one of the largest data sets in healthcare. I want you to just give us a sense of walk us through your data sources. And how have you uniquely been able to build this, especially just knowing the category is a hard one to build in?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think everyone talks in the healthcare world about interoperability, like, oh, you know, systems don't talk to each other. That's why, like, there's no way for us to possibly know what, what you know, all the aspects of the patient's life. And I actually think you know, interoperability is a challenge that we've probably spent 20 plus years trying to crack, but the real issue is trust. Nobody trusts each other, right? So a, a payer doesn't want to share information with the provider because, oh, well, maybe they'll know exactly how much I'm paying another provider for the same procedure, or a provider doesn't necessarily want to share that information with another provider because they're competing for the same patient. So this dynamic is one where I think we don't really talk about it because you know, competition is competition, but we don't say that that actually hampers people from sharing data. And so one of the uh, observations we had was that when we can convince people though to share data and they can get value out of it and we can do it in a way that doesn't you know, disproportionately affect their business model, they would do it. And so one of the really great opportunities we have is the business is um, is going to different folks across the healthcare system from payers to providers, to all of the technology players in between them. And we work with them to actually bring their data, connect it and stitch it at a patient level across systems de-identify it to keep our patients uh, private and secure and work with that to actually improve healthcare costs and outcomes. And so what we find is that when the data is being used appropriately, correctly, in a way that doesn't actually impact the way that these companies worry about their own competitiveness, it leads to some some really great outcomes and their willingness to share the data for that purpose grows. And that's how we've been able to uh, partner across the industry to really make something like this happen.
0: So, Arif, I want to give everybody a really concrete example so that everybody listening fully can visualize what you do. Walk us through an end customer. You, you don't have to share a name if you don't need to, or if you can. Walk us through an end customer, and what is their experience? like? What does Komodo help bring them?
1: Absolutely. So let's take a very simple example of recruiting a patient for a clinical trial. Now, In the last couple of years, we've really talked a lot about healthcare inequities playing out in clinical trial recruitment. We, for example, tend to recruit white patients at a much higher rate for most trials. in oncology, that number is like 80%. In other conditions, a little bit more balanced, but there's still these massive inequities. And so one of the big limitations in the way that pharmaceutical companies pick these sites is they work with these big CRO organizations, big kind of outsourced research organizations, and they have these pre-built networks. And these networks, essentially reinforce the bias that exists in the healthcare system. And so one of our customers will say, hey, well, we want to kind of think about where are we not recruiting patients you know, that we should be? How do we introduce more equity in the recruitment process? How do we identify patients that come from a much more diverse background than what we're typically recruiting? And so they come to us and say, hey, we would love to get a trigger Uh, alert when we sort of see a patient that fits a framework that actually is is a good uh, fit for the study. And so what Komodo does is we've built a huge set of software solutions on top of this map that allow us to mine insights to help us identify areas where there could be inequity, where there could be patients that have you know worse care than they should, that may potentially be eligible for a trial. And so um, they'll come to us with that problem. They'll license our software. We will configure it or they will configure it. Then all of a sudden they start to see patients in sites that are not their traditional sites. And that creates their ability to say, hey, maybe we should go and and actually get the site up and running. And maybe we should focus on recruiting here and not there. And it really gets them thinking differently about what the opportunity is. And so much of their visibility is just limited by what they don't know. And so we always say that, you know, if you don't know, if you don't see it, you will never actually go after it. And so we're raising that, um, that observation. That's a perfect example of where this, you know, where we can make a huge impact just by using data and software to help companies get better visibility into who they're recruiting.
0: I wanted to talk a little bit about mission and impact because clearly there's a, a pretty profound mission underneath all of this. Give us a sense of like, for the team at Komodo Health, what is the driving mission every day? What do you feel like you're trying to really
1: equalize? Absolutely. Well, we talk about um, our mission as an organization is reducing the burden of disease. And we frame it that way. Like, what is the burden of disease? What does that actually mean? Well, for a given community, it means the way that folks in that community are experiencing their own individual diseases, how they're utilizing the healthcare system, their kind of outcomes as as human beings, as well as the cost that plays on the system. And so every day our team thinks about the way our software can be used to help companies Address the burden of disease. Now, if you are a payer, you're thinking about the risk in your population, but you know what? You can do so much to improve their lives by getting earlier in the disease process, helping them get to the right care earlier, and that you know reduces costs. There is a benefit to them by doing that. So, how do they do that in the right way? Same thing with a provider that's thinking about that patient, but then doesn't know what happens before the patient shows up, doesn't know what necessarily happens after the patient leaves, and so how can we bring them better consciousness so that they can address the needs in their population? To us, that um, that thesis around reducing disease burden gets our team together. We talk about it every week as a team. We highlight examples of where it's happening. And it's so much a part of our culture. And it's something that um, both my co-founder, Webson and I uh, are really proud of, uh, actually building a company that can both be mission-driven as well as one that can grow and, and produce a service and a set of products that people love.
0: Literally, you serve uh, everyone from pharmaceutical manufacturers to payers to startups. I'd love to get an example of, in those early days as you're building, what were some of the moments where you were like, wow, this is working? What were the the nuggets that kept your team really, really focused?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So our... Thesis in the market is a very different one, right? So um, we walked into a category where there is a workflow for doing things that's 40 years old, right? I'm gonna go license some data from this big data aggregator. I'm gonna throw it to an analyst, and analyst is gonna, you know, build a spreadsheet and run all these analytics, maybe in SAS or in Excel, and I'm gonna get some result. I'm gonna throw it onto a PowerPoint slide and I'm gonna send it to a business user and they're gonna say, okay, great, we should go and make this change or we should go add this clinical trial site and that's it. And so by the time the decision maker gets that insight, it's months old and it's, you know, inaccurate because nobody knows where the data came from. It just, it's random data. And so there's this whole um, ecosystem that we discovered that if we could just like rip and replace that whole thing with software, uh, we would transform a way of working and we would also set a foundation for doing things in a kind of a technology-forward way that could lead to better outcomes. And so uh, when we launched our product, our first product called Aperture in 2015, and I remember the first customer picking it up and using it, and the UI was terrible. Like I, I wouldn't wish this UI on on anyone. I look at it now, I almost cry. Um, but it was so it was so foundational, though, to the thesis, which is that I can serve up in an application an insight derived from real time data on patients that is both you know protects privacy and as well creates this insane amount of insight into what they're experiencing in the healthcare system. And when we saw like our first like beta clients like using it, they were like blown away. And they would, you know click through and they would find this and this, And they were like, "Oh, I could search this kind of concept here, and this is so different than how I would normally address this question. And it was just seeing uh, them react to that application that, I don't know, it got us uh, really believing that we could do this at scale. We could answer really basic questions about patient populations at scale and do it in a way that um, was very genuine, very honest, and as well, um, something that made a difference. And so I, I remember those early days and I think um, it inspired us to continue to build this thesis out, you know, going from one set of problems to another set of problems to another set of problems, simply because we saw what it could do for for the average uh, user who really did not have this kind of insight before we were able to serve that.
0: Alexa, here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders, on for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carden knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise if, you know, one of the things I find pretty special about what you're building is you obviously started it back in 2014, and then you fast forward six years, COVID happened. And in so many ways, almost, I, I think, really gave you a unique moment to really prove some of the value that, that you had been building towards, and, and probably in some ways was a really big unlock. Can you give us a sense um, from, you know, your unique purchase, Komodo? what did your data set reveal about COVID's impact? What sort of shifts did you see in healthcare or healthcare delivery, like the uptick in telemedicine that you think will stick?
1: Okay, great. So it was incredible to see how fast healthcare was changing. We were tracking this in real time, early in the pandemic, March, April, May, seeing that transition in the early 2020 uh, frame. And what was happening was was, uh, three basic things. Number one, people stopped going in for anything that was just not essential, right? So the utilization of the healthcare system massively dropped. You were not going to see your doctor for just normal routine screening. So you were thinking, okay, well, wow, there's going to be this massive delay in diagnosis because nobody's going in for things that, we have guidelines around to help, um, you know, ensure that folks are being screened at the right time. Second thing that happened is that because nobody was going in physically, this like plethora of virtualized services, exactly what we described, telemedicine was coming up. And you were seeing not only telemedicine, but you were seeing, you know, like kind of pharmacy, you know, ca- uh, delivery of medications. You were seeing a, you know, lab test that could be mailed to your house. You're seeing a whole ecosystem that was much more virtualized kind of emerging. And then finally you were seeing this real big struggle with providers to adapt to this new world. And that has led to, you know, many hospitals and systems shutting down, which were just going to create many more problems downstream, but you were having, you're seeing the struggles of providers every day. And so we could see that in our data. You could almost predict where, you know, disease burden would be disproportionately high based on utilization patterns. You could understand where delay in diagnosis was going to disproportionately affect populations. You were going to see, you could see, you know, institutions that you could almost predict would would suffer um, too much under the way that COVID was going based on the kinds of procedures and and visits they were no longer seeing. And so all of that created this huge watershed moment for us to be able to use data at scale to actually answer very fundamental questions about the system. We tracked a lot of this. We predicted these things would happen. We're seeing them starting to happen now as we're seeing patients coming back into the system, but yet coming in with later stage disease. And so that really has opened our eyes to the power of data to, to actually help give us visibility into something that... Um, we will now understand and, and be able to predict. If I think about what sticks, I think this is a, a huge moment for us as a like as a as a country and as a world um, to rethink the way that we utilize healthcare. I actually believe that um, the evolution of healthcare in the future is one that is uh, fully centered around the patient, and uh, that consumerization vision we've had for like twenty years in healthcare is coming to life. I can. Yay. Yeah. I mean, it's like what we talk about. You can procure any service on an app. You can get your drugs sent to your house. You can get lab tests in your house. You can have DME medical equipment set up in your house and have a nurse come to your house. Like all of that entire kind of uh, stack is being fully virtualized. And it's really exciting for patients because it gives them choice and control in a much better way. We're seeing payers start to be more open to that, provided that they can see the offset and other service utilization, which I think they will come to to realize and respect. Um, So I believe that sticks. Um, I think what changes is obviously the the hospital as a, you know, for emergent cases where surgery is performed. I mean, those are larger scale shifts as we think about the future that won't change anytime soon. But I do believe that for a lot of conditions, we're experiencing something completely different.
0: I want you to just stick in this fast forward, call it five to 10 years. Give me a sense of one or two other things that maybe isn't, you know, totally under uh, Komodo health's, you know, uh, uh, purview, but things that are happening in the future of health that just like get you out of bed in the morning and get you excited. And I ask this because it's, it's really inspiring for the rest of us from afar um, to think about just what is going to come out of just this rough moment of COVID is just a wild amount of innovation. So Tell us what the future could look like in, in 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 the future of health. Otherwise,
1: yeah, I mean, we're we're seeing so much evolution in the way that companies are using data and technology to get better at at how they perform. So. A couple of the things that that hide behind the surface, and we think about you know the value of uh, AI and machine learning and healthcare, and we you know we, we we use those terms or we dandy them about you know a lot because we're expecting this like uh, incredible thing that uh, will will predict something for us that we can't really explain. What I actually see happening is the role of data and technology to drive a lot more and deeper understanding of where patients and communities of need are. So as we've gotten more conscious about healthcare inequities, I actually believe the systems are now in place to bring a lot more of the patient's um, social engagement together with healthcare data to create a better experience for them. And there's so much money being poured into this and so much excitement about the way we can use technology to improve equity that it's going to work. And it's going to work because not only are communities being engaged in the right way, but we're actually using data to drive change at scale. We're actually able to compare outcomes across communities and say, we're not really happy with life expectancy here or access to great healthcare here. And we can do something about that. And here's what we can do based on the needs of that community. I think that comes to life. Um, I, I believe that a lot of the the change and the companies that are, are working in the space and social care and being able to think and rethink the way that they do community engagement are, are really going to see their theses play out in a very positive way and there's a there's a huge data uh, aspect to that that we we fit into, but this is a broader I think secular trend for how we think about uh, reducing inequity in the system. Another area that I get um, very excited about is in the line of like decentralizing care and really returning, the capability to the patient. Um, I see as we've had a proliferation of new apps and app experiences and user experiences, we think about like, what does a seamless experience for the patient and the user look like right now? It's like 50 different apps that I would use. I'm using one for my mental health. I'm going to use one for this pharmacy thing. My, my payers can make me log into this thing. And, and it's like, we have like, I don't know, 20 or 30 health apps on our, our phone. I mean, I think that's the problem. And so one of the really uh, great things that will come out of all of this is our ability to make that experience simpler. Um, And I'm really looking forward to that because that creates engagement by the consumer to be able to choose what they want to do and do it in the right way. So I think that's the change is happening. It's not here yet. Let me just be honest. We still have 20 apps. We still don't know what half of them do. Everyone wants you to log into everything individually, and it's a pain. Uh, But that kind of goes away as we we see innovation in that space.
0: Last year alone, you hired nearly 400 people. And you are scaling and hyper growth through COVID, through remote world, which is really, really hard on any founder. Give us just a sense of like anything you swear by, anything you're learning, pay it forward to everybody that's listening that are that are other founders about what you've learned,
1: yeah. so it is um uh, we've hired more people in the last year than we hired in the first seven years, actually twice as many as we hired in the first seven years, at Komodo. And so um entering this mode has just taught me a lot about life and uh, how to think about scale businesses. But um a couple of lessons for me that have really resonated. Number one is that, your success is really gated by having an outstanding team. And uh, we have had this incredible talent acquisition team, this incredible people team, and they create um, this amazing dynamic experience for our dragons from whenever they meet us for the first time through their time at Komodo. And that is uh, so powerful for us, but that was built over the course of two years of experiments that some of which work some of which failed and finding your footing and how you actually do that well every company is different uh, but you have to take the time to innovate your process you have to take the time to change a few things try a few things out know that nothing's always going to work and if you're an experimentalist like that and you have a great team that really understands what to do to bring that together you can you can go far and then the second thing is that we have it, this whole experience has changed my view around uh, remote and hybrid work, and so on and so forth. We used to be a company that had a very strong belief in office centricity and office culture. We still do, but how do you make that successful in a in a remote first or a hybrid first environment? And so, finding a way to meet every single one of our team members where they're at and the way that they want to work and the way that they choose to work, uh, and making it possible for them to be successful here, that has created a lot of innovation on our end for how we you know, deliver the best experience for them. And so I think uh, as a leader, it has helped me see other ways of doing things that I didn't think were possible and find ways for us to be super successful at a time when, you know, you could say, well, that's gonna be really hard for them. And I think that's really where uh, the the, the companies that are able to kind of navigate through that and find a great way of working, reach the kind of success that they wanna see for themselves.
0: I love that. I wanna transition to a little bit about you. Did you always know you're an entrepreneur? You know, you literally graduated magna cum laude, highest honors from Harvard. You got an MD from Harvard Medical School. You got an MPA in health policy from Harvard Kennedy School. You're clearly a wildly hardworking person. Was being an entrepreneur obvious to you?
1: Not at all. I thought I was in the corporate world for my whole life, and uh, it's fascinating thing. I, you know, I left medicine, I finished medical school, and I decided that I was so fascinated by the intersection of technology and, and healthcare. And actually, I'm living a thesis that I had, you know, back in 2005 when I was fresh out of med school, thinking about what was possible. I found my myself working and um, with you know payers and providers and and uh, and life sciences companies as a consultant, and I got to see everything that was you know kind of wrong and broken in healthcare. I got to see a whole bunch of things that were really promising, and I never thought that I would actually go out and do something about it. And it's an amazing thing, you know. I was. Uh, felt like I was just going to climb the kind of career ladder. And something happened to me in 2012. I, I guess, reached a, a an understanding of myself, uh, understanding of what I really wanted in life. Um, I was seeing that uh, so much of that I couldn't attain in the way that I was working in a company setting and, and decided that I would take the risk and and start over. And It was uh, a very humbling experience to go from, you know, having security and a job and like a career path to having nothing, to having yourself, your co-founder and, uh, you know, your partners in life who just, you know, continue to support you through that time. And it was was, uh, a, a huge testament to like the power of you know, belief that you have in things. I think it's within all of us to do that, but I had to have that to become an entrepreneur. So yeah, no, I was never planning to be an entrepreneur. I thought I'd make a terrible entrepreneur. I hated risk. (laughs) Uh, yeah, like not a crazy person. And so, um, yeah, that that's where I found myself.
0: (laughs) I love that. This is a hard no. Um, one of the things I'd love to ask you clearly have this big mission. You're exceptionally hardworking. I'd love to just get a sense. Like what did your parents do that made you special?
1: <laughs> My parents uh, came to the U.S. with two bags, two hundred dollars, and uh, admission to to school. And they went to school. They survived those early years, um, making nothing and working odd jobs just to kind of put themselves through it. And. Um, they are an inspiration to me as first generation in in the U S who come in with just a hope and a belief that they can pass a better life onto their kids. And I find that uh, was so motivating that I didn't ever want to let them down, not because, you know, they would say, Hey, you've got to do this, but because it was just the, the promise of, of uh, the realization, I think of their life's dream and goal was to create the better life for their child. And, I took a lot of um uh learning from that. It inspired me over the years to think deeply about what it is that I wanted out of life and and it helped me kind of forge me into to being someone who uh was, you know, able to provide a clear vision for what that looked like and um and and create that world that I wanted. And it's all due to them. So
0: you're one of these unique founders that literally is a doctor, <laughs> right? Like, um, trying to change healthcare, leveraging technology. How would you say that that's really impacted your approach to being a founder?
1: Yeah. So the training you get in medical school does not equip you to be a founder. I actually think I would have made a terrible doctor. I mean, I love patients and I would love that aspect of it, but there is just a a level of commitment to a skill and a discipline that you have to have. And I have too much fascination with too many random things that I I have. I lack the ability in some cases to like really focus deeply, which is just, it's not, it's not a good thing as a doctor. So I would say on the other side of it though, what allows me to build technology products in healthcare is a deep empathy and understanding of the clinical side of practice um, uh, and the, and kind of the ability to understand uh, medical literature and the ability to think about how that can be um, uh, pulled through into data. And so that intersection between clinical informatics and underlying data science, I think is a skill that, um, you know, I developed over having kind of been part of both worlds, but I do believe that the best healthcare technology companies have to solve problems of human health with, with an appreciation for how consumers and users think, and so it just stretches a lot of your your muscles to be able to do something like that. So I I feel like it helps me every day, but I definitely didn't expect to be here uh, doing this when I was in medical school.
0: I love that. Um, I came across a quote you have that I absolutely was pretty excited about. You said build what you believe the market doesn't know it wants and focus then on what it takes to convince them that it does. Tell me more about that.
1: Absolutely. We use the word contrarian a lot when we describe founders. And I think contrarian is not, in my mind, the best articulation of what we're trying to communicate, which is to say that founders generally have a belief, a belief on something that they see a certain way and they spend their time actualizing it. But it doesn't just happen just by like, you know, standing up and say, hey, the world's going to use streaming music 15 years from now. Nobody's going to be downloading music. That doesn't make it happen. Um, it did happen. And that's amazing. And there's so many great stories. But I mean, 2005, you told me that I would have laughed at you. And that's the point. The point is then, how do you create a business model that actually works? And how do you bring how you delight users in a way that gets them to use it. And then, then how do you change hearts and minds through the work that you do? And I think that notion of convincing someone is what you know you have to do in sales. It's what you have to do in, in everything in life. Uh, it's when I negotiate with my partner for like how we're going to do something or what we're going to do on the weekend that requires like Convincing someone to do something that they're not necessarily excited about. And so um, that whole notion of taking your thesis, but then doing the hard work to actually bring it to life, I think that's the thing that I love to convey to, to folks who are on that journey, just because and it's what's allowed us to push a contrarian thesis to market. But the, we've had to spend so much time educating and working with users to get them excited about software as an alternative to what they're used to.
0: Okay. I'm moving to the quick fire round. Last, just two questions on you. What is the question you like to ask people to really get to know them when you're interviewing them for Komodo?
1: It's <laughs> a good question. So um, I, I love asking, it's kind of a weird one. I, I love asking uh, people to imagine uh, a future version of themselves and like give their like younger self one piece of advice. Uh, and then I love that to hear uh, what they did with it <laughs> over the years uh, that they got it in this theoretical world problem that I've given them. But it gives me such insight on you know something that they you know wish they were, uh, were aware of, and it actually uh, helping them to think about how they actualize it. It to me teaches uh, a lot about how people think.
0: I love it. Biggest pinch me moment to date at Komodo, uh, where you literally <laughs> just at your co-founder came home to your partner and literally said. I can't believe this happened. What was it?
1: We were at Komodo Week in 2020, uh, which is annually, we get the whole team together for one week, and it's a chance for all of us to really get excited and aligned on the year and to celebrate our mission and our culture and our values. Um, 2020, right before the pandemic, we had Komodo Week, which we have not had since then in two years. And and there was this moment where Webb and I were on stage, and I looked across and I see two hundred people in the audience, and we're like, "Wow, we built this. We brought this incredible group of people together," uh, and it was just this. Uh, I can't. I can't believe that we are here. And of course, now we are like four times as big. But so, so it's like the world just keeps moving. But in that moment, I I couldn't imagine I would have been there.
0: I love that. Arif, first of all, this has been such a pleasure. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you haven't already checked it out, uh, please head to komodohealth.com and you can join us next week for Ink the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. Arif, we are rooting for you. You're so badass. This is so much fun. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thanks, Alexa. I really appreciate it.